Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Professional Insight Podcast, Season 3. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. Um, thank you to our sponsors, Brand Boulevard. Uh, our guest today will be getting a nice notebook from Brand Boulevard, uh, COVID-friendly, of course, and socially distancing, giving it to them. Uh, my name is Brandon Curry. I'm Jeff Collins. I'm Josh Bond. And Trevor Lindy. I am pleased to uh, welcome our next guest, uh, Michael Rass uh, from Meridian Credit Union, a Director of Government Relations and Stakeholder Relations uh, with Meridian. Uh, did, did, I, did I get that right, Michael? Like, that's a long title. Yeah, I know it's a long title, but, you know, I do a lot of things, so I've got to have a long title. <laughs> Uh, thanks very much for coming because there was a, a bunch of tweets that were going back and forth and some great announcements last week, which probably got buried because of COVID. Um, oh, by the way, to our listeners, we are recording this on October 14th, 2020, just in case any references seem a little bit out of the blue when you download this pop, download this podcast. Um, Minister McNaughton, uh, announced from the, the, the government of Ontario, uh, announced a, uh, and if you can kind of shed some light on it, basically the shift that funding towards apprenticeships and, and skilled trades. You want to kind of maybe put that in layman's terms for the all of our listeners, uh, Michael? Yeah, sure. So this has actually been happening for a couple of years now um, since the Ford government was elected. Um, and even arguably some of this was happening beforehand. Um, but it started with announcements that were made um, when the Ford government was first elected that, that suggested that funding colleges and universities um, should be tied more closely to employment and skills uh, training. So for, money should follow the jobs, in other words. Right, well, makes sense. And, which, I exactly. I think this is something that, you know, this, we've needed to see this for some time. Um, and at first, of course, it was met by the, the, this, the, the normal resistance from, from any stakeholder that, that encounters... Uh, change uh, and to shake up the shake up the academy, so to speak, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, before I joined Meridian, I'll, I'll use this as an example of where I think some of the the challenge lies. It's not necessarily the skilled trades. Before I joined Meridian, I was executive director of a group called the Federation of Ontario Law Association. So I represented lawyers in private practice across Ontario. Boo. Yeah, I was a lobbyist for lawyers. <laughs> I was a lobbyist for lawyers. So I mean, the, the, the dregs of society that you know, even even worse than than, than used car salesmen were me. Oh. But the uh, the uh, <laughs> hey, at least I'm not a financial planner or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. The uh, <laughs> um, but what I found extraordinary working in that field was the common complaint that lawyers, when they graduated from law school, were not prepared to be lawyers. They had no training in, in the actual practical business of running a law firm. Um, another thing, which, is, which just blows me away. So what ended up happening is that programs were set up for postgraduate graduation. So you did an undergraduate degree, then a law degree, and then you had to do another couple of courses um, through your articles or through uh, law practice programs or what is happening increasingly is that finally law schools are recognizing you're doing this. And so Lakehead's Law School and Ryerson's new law school, which will start again next year, have programs to teach you how to become a lawyer. We have enough uh, lawyers. Well, that's true. That's a whole <laughs> other topic of other podcasts. Um, but same thing, I, I, I teach a little bit uh, or have taught at Seneca College at a postgraduate program 
the only one of its kind uh, in the country, a postgraduate program in, in teaching um, government, the practice of government relations. And every one of my students has an undergraduate degree and very few of them know how to write for business. They don't know how to communicate for business. They're graduating with, a, with an undergraduate degree, typically a BA or a Bachelor of Science or something like that. And no one teaches the practical skills that you need in business or in the, in the professional environment. So same thing is happening in the rest of the, the academy or is, is happening too much in the rest of the academy. We're not training to the skills that you need that, that employers need. So that's what's happening in terms of what the, the, the government was doing. And that's the first part of their, their strategy. I think. And the second part is to focus more on the skilled trades. We have a major skilled trades uh, labor shortage. Um, the construction, the construction industry yep. suggests that they, they're going to, they're going to need a hundred thousand new construction industry um, uh, skilled trades over the next ten years. That's a small, small number. A hundred thousand. Right. That, that that's the that's the skilled labor shortage in Ontario over the next ten years, and that I think is probably an underestimate. Well, you know, um, one, of, one of the weird things about that, my partner is a carpenter, and he's only allowed to have one apprentice under him. And he could easily handle more than one apprentice, which makes it tough just to find an apprenticeship for it. Where they, should, they should open that up a bit. And that's, and that's precisely what, 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 the, what the government, the Ontario government is announcing, is trying to open up the apprenticeship systems, um, trying to open up, remove all those barriers to, to, to entry, uh, increasing interprovincial uh, labor mobility, like there are a lot of pipe fitters and welders uh, unemployed in in uh, in Alberta right now that can't get work elsewhere. I mean, we got to be able to move people around the country a little bit. So that's that's all part of it. Um, but anyway, just as I was saying, the hundred thousand is a is I think a, a, a is a number at the low end of the estimate. I was reading today that if we moved into small modular nuclear reactors. Um, so you know, distributed nuclear reactors, a new technology, we'd need 70,000 people just to build those in Ontario alone. Um, now is Darwin's that, is that hundred thousand, uh, maybe, oh, sorry, maybe you're going to be just touching. No, on no, go ahead. I apologize. Right. Does that include the reactors going down in 2025 and 2026 in Pickering? <laughs> That's another 25,000 dollars. Oh my God. Right. So, about, so that hundred thousand is just at normal demand. That's not the two reactors going down and being refurbished. There's 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 crossover, right? There's okay. so that's not including, or that's in, that hundred thousand is what's needed in ICI construction. But out of that number is assuming that we're going to build a subway in Toronto, uh, assuming we're building the LRTs in in Mississauga and Eglinton and Toronto and and potentially Hamilton. Um, that's not including all the housing that we need built. The, the, the housing sector says that we need to be building something like 250,000 new units of housing every year. Sorry, Michael, uh, did you say it didn't contemplate or didn't assume? Uh, it does. Uh, okay. Like it, the, it uh, the subway that. and expansion and stuff? Yeah, it does contemplate okay. that stuff, but I think those are low estimates in, in terms of the numbers. Yeah, um, fair. And like I've read numbers to say that the average age of bricklayer in Ontario is like 55. Yeah. Oh, yeah so, that's a tough one. You know, if you're slinging bricks, my goodness, I mean, that's, that's, hard, that's hard labor, um, yeah. hard work. So we need more of those types of skills. And so I think what the government is trying to announce, and you saw that, that, that announcement last week from Monty, uh, Mr. McNaughton, the Minister of Labor, that's all part of that shift that is happening, is that, that we're they're reorienting the education system to try and, to, and take advantage of this and get our 
get our workforce ready for this fantastic opportunity that exists in construction, in advanced manufacturing, in the technical trades um, that is right now going unmet. So that's where the opportunity really lies. Don't where do you think they got to address that? Is that in high school they address it? So they start introducing it a little bit more or? I think, I think they have to, and I think they are. They, they, there was some controversy this past year where the government, even though there's a, there's a pandemic and lots of stresses in our schools, they, they insisted on introducing the math curriculum, a revised math curriculum, a back to basics math curriculum. Um, and I understand a science curriculum is being developed and, and it is in the pipeline. Um, all of that stuff makes some sense. So that has to happen. We have to raise the game of, of teachers in our, in our schools. You know, one of the reasons that we have a shortage, I think, we have a really uh, a declining um, math scores in our high schools is because math is taught by history teachers. You know, if you, if, if you were graduated, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and you were halfway decent in math, you're going to go work at Google versus going to work at Beamsville District Secondary School, right? If you, so that's the problem that we've got is we don't have enough really strong math teachers in our schools that are teaching it. So we're graduating really fantastic history and poli-sci majors, that's me, um, but, we're not, but we're not graduating enough um, really solid maths and science uh, students. Uh, which is then translating into not enough of them going into those those places in, in the schools. I think the second part that has to happen is in our guidance counselor offices. I read something, I read a really neat um, uh, analogy today is that we need a third wall in every guidance counselor office. The one wall has all the university brochures. The second wall has all the college and community college brochures. And the third has to be, you know, the skilled trades, skilled trades uh, uh, brochures, opportunities. We need that sort of uh, piece there. We need to remove the barriers to entry in, in apprenticeships. You know, a carpenter should be able to have more than one apprentice Absolutely. working with them. Absolutely. Um, you know, you're allowed to have more than one uh, co-op student working for a financial planner or, 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 or a mortgage broker, right? You, you know, why can't you have more than one apprentice on a, on a job site? Um, there's, there's gotta be some stuff there. Remove some barriers to mobility. Um, be able to move across the country uh, a little bit more easily. We're, we are one country. We shouldn't be having these kinds of mobility barriers across there. Reduce the cost of train. Um, like the skilled trades should be an absolute entry point for the most disadvantaged in our, in our, in our society. Um, there should never be a story of saying someone, uh, I can't afford to, 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 to pay for the training. Right. Um, not to get political for a second, but you know me. Um, the, 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 I think this is one of the smartest, most politically advantageous policies that the Stephen Harper government ever did a few years ago was he offered a tax credit for tools, uh, for, for, for tradesmen. Yeah, right. Um, and I know a lot of guys in my neighborhood um, who drive, you know, white panel vans and pickup trucks um, who took full advantage of that tax credit and bought a lot of tools that they needed and made it, made it easier for them to uh, to do their business. Um, we should be finding ways of getting the tools of the trade into those carpenters and pipefitters and bricklayers hands um, at, at lower cost. I think that would be a fantastic way to, to do this. And the other way to, the other thing we need to do is break down the gender stereotypes. Oh, absolutely. Huge. This isn't, you know, it's five guys now talking, but we need more women in the trades. Absolutely. And I think absolutely. Monty McNaughton has been talking about that a little bit lately. And, and, um, 
and, and, and so is Doug Ford and others. And I think that's absolutely where we need to go because the skilled trades are not heavy physical manual labor. It's going to be about robotics going forward. You know, the, 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 the big excavators are going to be run by, by robots. Um, we can do that from a control booth. And yeah. but that's going to require a whole new set of skills. I, I, I'm a builder myself, Michael, and I deal with trades on a, on a consistent basis. I think one of the other things they need to do to train them, they need to train them in customer service too, because you'll get a lot of trades that are good at their job, but their their return for quotes, their follow-up, their stuff like that is, is, I'll say, piss poor, and they're not trained on that. So they, they do lose customers and they don't get repeat business on that, even though they're excellent trades. You know, so it's one of those things that I, I think that they – as much as they need to teach trades in schools, they also have to start teaching customer service because that's something that leads to sales, which leads to you being able to employ your, your, your company or your, your tradespeople too. So I, I think that's one of the issues out there too, as far as trades. Actually, I'm yeah. seeing women in this too, like painters and drywall uh, finishers and stuff like that too. It's interesting. Yeah, I think those skill sets in, in how to run a business, how to do marketing. Um, but I, I think that applies to everything. Yeah, I agree. Lawyers, accountants, doctors, like you don't know how many clients I've had that are accountants or some other kind of profession and they're terrible business people. They're the worst. They have no clue where to turn. A customer service that it should be a skill itself in, in high school and, and, and stuff leading to the next phase of people's education. Right. I think that's lacking heavy, to be honest. I think the people with good usually go to the top. Yep, I get it. 100%. And that's what my, that was my point of, of raising the earlier about lawyers complaining about not being taught how to be lawyers. Um, it wasn't their, you know, the, their, their understanding of constitutional law. It was their understanding of how to open up an office. Absolutely. How to, how to do invoicing, how to do billings. Yeah. Um, you know, like Some of it like, you'll learn in your articles, right, for a lawyer, your small placement, right? But not the, sure. not the like the, what you would think is trite business. Like from my perspective at this point in time, like you were 70, saying, right? Just running your 70% of the 70% of the complaints that go to the law society are, are revolve around poor communication between a, between a lawyer and his client or her client. Um, and a large portion of those are, are disputes over the bill. You know, right. like it's, it's basic business stuff. You know, how do you communicate your value proposition and uh, and throughout so that you're so that when the invoice arrives you don't get shocked um, to the point where you're pissed off and you file a complaint you know yeah. um, that's that's the that's the legal side but it applies to just about every other field of, of professional endeavor so the the if we go back just to to because I think we're approaching we like to keep our our things around 20 minutes so just based on our listening uh, listenership sure. Your attention span, Brandon. My attention span. <laughs> That's 15 but minutes ago. I, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> it's done but, in the first um, minute. What, uh, so what was the nuts and bolts of the announcement? Were they increasing funding and then and, and cutting red tape, essentially? Yeah, I think so. I wasn't, I wasn't paying too specific attention to the, to the announcement. I think what Monty was actually in last week announcing in, in Niagara was um, specifically uh, cutting or providing more funding for personal support workers. Right. Uh, PSWs that will go into uh, into long-term care homes or, or do home care, so in the healthcare space. But again, a skilled trade um, where people were, you know, we have a dramatic shortage of them. Now, some of that shortage in PSWs is because the salary structure hasn't 
you know, kept up with value, right? You're not getting paid enough at all. You know, you're not paying me nearly enough uh, if you want me to go and change, you know, adult diapers, right? So that's that's the issue there. but as I understand it, that, that that average hourly rate is is creeping up, um, and it's, that's a good thing. And and some of the the labor rules on that are are a good thing. But I think it was just indicative of that one announcement was just indicative of a government who's got an approach that's uh, a little bit different than that in past years. What I find fascinating about it, putting aside the the implications to colleges, universities, to the training sector, uh, and everything else, is the political shift that this is leading to. Um, Monty McNaughton is the first um, conservative labor minister to, to march in a Labor Day parade. Um, he's being endorsed by private sector unions. Mm-hmm. Um, he's building tremendous relationships with the private sector union leadership. Um, Joe Mancinelli at Leuna in Hamilton is uh, singing Monty and, and Doug Ford's praises uh, quite frequently. That's different. This is a group, Leuna and the Labor's um, Construction Trades Unions, that years ago were running uh, attack ads against uh, Tim Hudak. Right. Um, and and the, the Working Families Coalition stuff. Um, that, um, that's a major political shift that I think um, cannot be underestimated um, and is something to watch for in the next little while. That, it, it, it's, you know what, it's really, it's really positive. I, I'm just so glad that our education system is changing. Uh, I mean, I, I remember going to school and I do remember, you know, um, two brothers uh, that uh, were in our high school. Uh, one was really good with a pencil and was going to be a chartered accountant. And the other was like his, his brother, he could rebuild an engine in his driveway. The kid was brilliant. I, I just don't know how he did it. And he was made to feel like an absolute moron because he wasn't going to university. It's so sad. I know people that are my age right now. One's a master in electrician, graduated in my year. One was a master electrician now. The other one's H has his HVAC license. And I was talking to the one that had his HVAC license and he was sitting, you know, we're in our approaching 40 or in our forties. And he's like, Brandon, if I would have known that I would have loved pipe fitting and HVAC and all that now I'd be retired by now. Yeah. Monetarily I'd have been retired by now, but he, he went to university and he did the thing that his counselor told him to do and got a BA and bounced around from job to job, to job. And now he found his passion and it's great. He, I'm glad he did it, you know, in his late thirties when he did, but I mean, he, he says, I still have to make up. 10 to 15 years of lost time because I would have been out of school by the age of 20 and making very good money at that stage, doing something that I loved. And I, you know, I was never encouraged to do it. And it's just so great that, you know, change starts from the top and it's so refreshing to see government change. And then hopefully the schooling system slowly change. Cause I'm saying, I'm preaching whatever I say, if you don't want to go to university, by God, get a trade, please get a trade because I'll be paying a hundred dollars, you know, $200 an hour for someone to rewire my house. Cause I can't. I think we have to be careful on two fronts here though. The first is that we don't want to diminish the value of a BA any further oh. than it already is yeah. because um, a lot of people with a, with a BA yours truly included uh, have done well. Um, but the, the, the reality is we have to be sort of mindful or we have to 
help people understand that just having a BA is not going to be enough. Absolutely. Um, they need some more. The, the second part of it is we have to avoid what's been happening over the last, say, 60 or 70 years in Ontario especially, um, which is streaming uh, and the, the, the inherent biases that happen uh, at that level. Uh, the Ontario government uh, just announced a few weeks ago or a few months ago some of the grade eight to grade nine streaming would be eliminated in order to stop what has basically been identified as systemic racism. If you were a black kid coming out of um, you know, a, an underprivileged neighborhood, you weren't getting into advanced English, advanced math, advanced science. You were, you were streamed into, uh, into, into general. Scenario, the general courses. They're what we would refer to as the general courses the, in the day. Even in my own circumstance, coming out of grade eight, my dad was uh, a worker for the town of Lincoln um, a public works guy, um, and the the guidance counselor in my hometown knew my dad, and so assumed I was going to be signed up for the shop classes and general classes. My mother marched down to the school and said, "No, no, he's going to take advanced English, advanced science, advanced math until he fails." And I almost did, <laughs> but I made it out of that class. Fast forward a number of years, I'm in a meeting. I'm the executive assistant to the uh, MPP for Lincoln Riding, Frank Sheehan. And that guidance counselor was by that point a, a town counselor for the town of Lincoln. He came in to lobby us and my, my boss couldn't take the meeting, so I took it. I'm all of 24 years old. I took the meeting with the guidance counselor and he's lobbying me uh, for funding for the town of Lincoln. I made him squirm. <laughs> I made him squirm. That was fun because, you know, he, he streamed me. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a racialized minority. I'm not... Um, I don't have those disadvantages, but you can imagine, you know, my story <laughs> times a thousand is yeah. what a lot of kids are going to be. So there is a fine balance to make sure that we're not streaming every kid into the, to, the, to the trades because, you know, that's not the place they want to be. I think the opportunity is to provide many more options uh, and to try and orient our school systems, um, you know, yeah. secondary schools and post-secondary education institutions into making sure that we're providing job ready skills. That's the real key to, to our future, I think. And, and compounded with that is to not make them sound as though you're settling for a trade. Right. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, well, I, you know, like that's the, that's the stigma that when we went through, it was almost, I mean, I come from a mining town, so it was a little bit different. But, you know, it's, you, you genuinely felt the feeling that if you didn't go to university, there was, you were something less. And I, I would really like to see that disappear. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Nope. Uh, this was a great topic. Thanks very much, Michael. Um, and uh, if there's any more development on it, we're going to ask you to come back on again and, and chat about it. But we do have another topic to chat with you about. Uh, it's going to be a bit more, way, way more interesting. It's about the U.S. election. So pretty excited. So we'll, we'll wrap this one up. Thank you very much for everyone that's listening. Thank you to our guest, uh, Michael Raz. Um, and uh, over to Josh. Thank you for our sponsors, Sink and Litch at Brand Boulevard. Help us help you stay informed. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. 
Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Hey, 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 hey. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.